0: tonight so so let's get into it let me uh, start with verse 1 uh, and I'll read through the end it says for behold the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble the day that is coming shall set them ablaze says the Lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch but for you who fear my name the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. All right, so that's chapter four of Malachi. Uh, you know, that's probably the shortest chapter. I don't know, but I'd have to guess that's probably one of the shortest chapters in in scripture. Uh, there may be a, a psalm or something that's shorter, uh, but uh, anyway, that's, that's that's a good one. So let's look at the uh, the the things that are uh, in this in this text. So first thing that we see is judgment and justice. And so in this passage of scripture, uh, Malachi chapter four. Uh, You we God kind of sums up everything that he said in the first three chapters This is almost like a an epilogue, you know if you read through a a book sometimes you get through an epilogue and they just sort of a summary of everything They've said previously in the book. Um, I don't recommend just reading the epilogue and thinking you have it all Um, I have tried that before it doesn't work well for you. So um, So, you know, you got to read the whole thing, but this kind of sums it up and so the, what we see in verses 1 and 3 is we see uh, indicators of justice and Judgment and so he says in verse 1 for behold the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evil do All evil doers will be stubble. And so this kind of answers the question that Israel had been uh, asking earlier in the book uh, and so in 314 uh, they kind of accused God. three fourteen and fifteen. They said, You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge, or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test, and they escape. And so they kind of made an accusation to God. Hey, you let evil people get away with things. You know, we, We're suffering. We, we got taken by Babylon. We're your people. We got taken by Babylon. We were prisoners. Even now, back in our own homeland, we're still not sovereign over ourselves. We're, uh, you know, we're under somebody else's thumb. But the arrogant and the evildoer, they're running rampant. They're, they're succeeding. They're being blessed. You know, God, this is not fair. And so God answers that here. So Israel's accusation in chapter 3 is answered here. The arrogant and the prideful will be punished. God will right the wrongs, and so God gives them a promise. He says that uh, a day is coming, and it doesn't sound like a very pleasant day. Burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. Uh, the day is coming when they they shall be set ablaze, says the Lord of Hosts, so that it will leave neither root nor branch. Now you've got to have. You think about that. If you go uh, uh, to a forest or whatever, this had, this had a forest fire. What's always left whenever the forest fire comes through? There's always roots, right? Or uh, stumps. You know, there's, there's stumps there and roots and all that kind of stuff. And if you've ever tried to cut down a tree, have you ever cut down a tree and tried to burn out the stump? I mean, it's about impossible. You know, they have all these methods. You can, like, drill holes and pour stuff into them and try to burn them out. And you can build fires around it and try to burn it up. But, man, it's almost impossible to burn out a stump. And even at that, you don't get all the roots burned out. You know, because it's down in the dirt. So this day is going to be so violent, so much judgment, that even the roots are going to be set ablaze. So God is going to take out everybody and um, who, is, uh, who is arrogant and prideful. So God will right the wrongs. And so that's a promise that he, he makes to Israel. Now, uh, the, uh, the problem with, uh, with this thing, uh, uh, the problem with this statement, and what Israel may not have realized is, if we were to look back at the first three chapters of Malachi, who do you, who would you, how would you uh, describe Israel's attitude towards God in the first three chapters of Malachi? Arrogant and prideful? <laughs> yeah, disrespectful. And so uh, God really, He's saying, "Hey, yeah, I want you to know, the arrogant and the prideful will not be, will not get away with it. They are going to get punished." You know, and then He kind of did that. You know that parent thing where he's kind of you know you kind of look do you understand what i'm saying are you picking up what i'm putting down you know he's he's saying are you understand what i'm saying they are not going to get they're not going to get away with it and so israel needs to really realize that yeah god's talking about those guys who are evil and arrogant. But he's also talking about you guys who are, who are arrogant and evil. And so, uh, but Israel's accusation is, is answered. The second thing we see is that those who fear God will have victory over the unrighteous. They will participate in a vengeance. And this is um, found in, in verse 3. It says, You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, as the Lord of hosts. And so you think about that, that judgment comes through burning like a fire, destroys the wicked, and God is saying, and you are going to be a part of that victory. You are going to be a part of the experience of that victorious uh, that victorious time. So those who fear God, remember we talked about what fear means last week. We talked about it, it means uh, uh, a reverent respect of, of who God is uh, with an understanding that he is an awesome God. He is a God that should invoke a sense of uh, of fear because of his power, not in dread or anything like that, but just a a healthy fear of who he is. And so, um, those who fear God in that way will participate participate in the victory over the unrighteous. And then, uh, just to kind of clear up who that refers to is this, those who fear God's name refers to, uh, also refers to present day believers. Therefore, the day of the Lord is a victory for us. We should look forward to it. And this uh, verse here in 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we are the victorious. When you think about revelation, revelation is all about our victory in Jesus Christ. And um, uh, uh, it's all about us being participating in the victory of Jesus. As Jesus comes in, as he... Uh, conquers as you know the beast is conquered And God sets up his city There on um, uh, The, you know, the new, new Jerusalem coming down um, We are going to participate in that victory And so we are the present day believers who Participate that and so we should Look forward to that and that's what Peter is saying there in Verses 113 we should prepare Be sober minded set our Hope fully on the grace That will be brought to you at the revelation Of Jesus Christ so there's a greater Grace that we haven't even experienced yet uh, and that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ whenever he comes back. So Yeah, I feel sorry for him. <laughs> the, when they're dancing around are they bothering y'all? No. They're not bothering us any. I'm gonna tell her. She's glad they're here. One of y'all wanna go tell her if that's okay. <laughs> it's not bothering me. So uh, all right well um so so that's what that's kind of the justice and judgment so that's how it starts out and god is referring to the justice and the judgment that's coming uh the next thing that we see is there's a healing for the broken and this kind of goes from verse two and then uh four through six um, although I, I broke out uh, some of the six later on uh, but there's a, a healing for the broken so uh, it says verse two for you who fear my name the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall okay so the son of righteousness anybody want to guess who that refers to you jesus, jesus. all right the son of righteousness is a reference to jesus that's one of those good Youth group Sunday school answers. You know, Jesus or peer pressure. Right? Those, those are the two answers you need to know in youth Sunday school, right? So, the Son of righteousness is obviously a reference to Jesus. He's coming in, and he's going to have uh, he's going to have healing, um, and he's going to uh, bring healing to Israel. But he's also going to bring healing to uh, to all nations. And so, his cause obviously will be a uh, his appearance will be a cause for rejoicing for those who love him. But judgment for those who do not. Uh, so, I how many of you grew up on a farm or have had cows, or been around cows, stuff like that? Okay? So, you've seen calves and everything. You know, whenever you let them out of the pen or whenever they're, especially when they're new calves, you know, they jump around. They look all tall and lanky and goofy. And, um, you know, it's always fun driving out by a pasture where there's multiple calves and they'll be out there playing with each other and they look like they're about to trip all over themselves, you know. And, and fall down um but that's kind of the the picture that we have here like a uh, you know if uh you know you, you've been pinned up you've been you know pinned up you've been uh uh you know things have been holding you back and all of a sudden you are um let free set free and you come out leaping joyous rejoicing um that's kind of the, that's kind of the picture here so his appearance when jesus comes back uh or his uh, sorry his appearance whenever um uh uh Whenever he, he, he came up for the first time, that should have been a time for rejoicing, but his second appearance is also a time for rejoicing. I mean, whenever the sky splits open and the trumpets sound, however that's going to look, you know, we're going to be caught. It says we'll be caught up in the air with him. We'll probably be like doing jumping jacks in the air, or you know, fist pumping. I mean, it's going to be an exciting moment. Um, whenever we are reunited with, with Jesus, and so, but for those who uh, who don't know him. It's going, be that, it's going to be that curse. It's going to be that curse there in chapter verse 1 and verse 2. Alright, and so it says it says here that there's going to be healing in his wings. Now this word wings is a pretty cool word. Uh, wings in the Hebrew is kanath. Uh, it's also translated as the hem of a garment, such as referring to the corner of Samuel's robe that Saul reached for. So I have that verse there from 1 Samuel 15. It says that Samuel turned to go away. Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. So that um, that skirt of his robe is the same word here that's used to, for wings. It's kanaf. Um, and so this could be translated, uh, "The son of righteousness will, shall rise with healing in his hem, or healing in his garment. Um, and so there's a, there's a common belief that wise men um, or religious men, their garments or their, their coat, their robe, had healing properties. And so you could go and if you touched his robe that you could be healed. And so that kind of explains um, why. Uh, so, so um, that kind of explains why the bleeding woman would have tried to fight the crowd and crawl through there just so that she could reach out and touch his robe. You know, she thought if I could only touch his robe, I would be healed. I might be healed. And for us, we might think, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, touch his foot or you know, touch his hand, touch his head. I mean, something like that. But she thought I would just want to touch his robe. That's because were, she felt like he was a rabbi. He was obviously a miracle worker, a wise man, a, a religious man. If I could just touch his robe, there might be healing there. And so, um, so that's what that's there. So I have it there on your page, Matthew 9, 23-22. 20 20, uh, Behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for over 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. And Jesus turned and, seeing her, said, "Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well." And instantly, the woman was made well. So she reached out in faith, and it wasn't the touching of the garment that healed her; it was the act of faith that, that brought healing. And so, just this is kind of a, this next one's kind of a side note, but it's just kind of interesting. Um, why would Matthew Why would Matthew include this story? Well, Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience, and so for a Jewish audience to read this story they would understand what he was referring to. So whenever they read this story about the woman who reached out and wanted to touch the wise man's hem of his garment, they would have this understanding in the background. They would realize that uh, Jesus was this divine healer uh, whose garment was healing. And so they would think maybe this is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. And so um, he, is the, he is that divine son of righteousness. And so that's kind of why Matthew would include this. Uh, include this in there alright and then Malachi reiterates that living in obedience is still a key to being declared righteous so he says in verse 4 remember the law of my servant Moses the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel and so um, Malachi is at the end of the, New, of the Old Testament uh, you know the Old Testament was law based uh, you know, follow the law obey the law of the Lord you would think that maybe at the end of Malachi, they would finally say, you know what, you guys are horrible at keeping the law, so just forget about it. <laughs> you know, just give up on it. But no, even at, right here at the very end of Malachi, the very last word that God gives to Israel before Jesus comes on the scene, he says again, obey my law. Keep my law. Um, obey what I have commanded you. And so God never changes his message, right? And from the time he gives the law to Moses, he tells him, you know, tells Israel to obey. He always points them back to the law, always goes back to the law. Um, And it's not because the law would save them, but it's because that Old Testament obedience was found in keeping the law. Okay? And so obedience for the Old Testament was found in keeping the law. And you could look at that and say say it was works-based salvation, but in reality it wasn't. They knew... Those who truly knew the Lord knew that it was not keeping the law that was saving them. They knew that it was faith in that word that was that was saving them. Um, because David says in Psalm fifty-one, "You do not delight in sacrifice or in offering. The sacrifice of the Lord is a, uh, what, the thing that you desire is a broken heart and a contrite spirit." And so it was something completely separated from keeping the law. It was that broken heart that, that caused you to live in faith for Christ, for to God, and live in obedience to God, and be humble before the Lord. That's the same heart that's going to motivate you to to keep the law. But David realized that there was something greater than the law here, because otherwise he would have said, "Well, you require sacrifices, so I'm going to go do sacrifices." And he knew that was a requirement, but he knew that there was more to it than that, and he was going to offer sacrifices, um, but he was going to first of all be obedient. And he continues on in Psalm 51, and he talks about, uh, you know, uh, living righteously. And then he says, then you will be pleased with sacrifices. You know, sacrifices will be offered in Zion, and you will be pleased with them. You'll accept them. And so it, it, Old Testament obedience was keeping the law, but there was more to it there. It was faith in God's written word. So you were having faith in that word of God, faith in that, in that Old Testament law and who it pointed you to. And so Malachi reiterates that. But then we move to the New Testament. The New Testament says the same thing. But the New Testament is obedience is living by faith. Okay? So New Testament, in the Old Testament, God kept pointing them back towards the law. But in the New Testament, it's pointing you towards faith. So you look at Romans. And you get to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And it says, uh, you know, summarize, it says the just shall live by faith. And then he goes into verse eighteen, where he starts saying, you know, but you know, this was this is what unrighteousness unrighteousness looks like. And so, in verse sixteen and seventeen of Romans chapter one, he says, uh, you know, the righteous shall live by faith. And then all of Romans is pointing to what it looks like to live by faith. It talks about the law, talks about how the law was fulfilled, talks about how the law was lacking. Um, talked about that the law was not, we don't do away with it now, but, you know, we're, we still still need to realize that it's valid, um, but it's not something that we are under anymore. And so in the New Testament, faith is living in God, faith in, uh, living by faith, and the faith is in God's living word. And so now we've moved from that written word, that Old Testament law, the, uh, the you know, first five books of the law, the Pentateuch, and now we're looking at that living word, because John 1 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so now that faith is in Jesus Christ, faith in God's living word. And so Malachi reminds us to, uh, uh, to live in that way and, and that's how the healing and the restoration is going to come, come back. And so this last part is the, is the part of conditional restoration. Uh, and it, it's kind of interesting. These two verses in the Jewish scriptures are flip-flopped. Um, they, uh, they either, depending on which writing you look at, they'll either be flip-flopped or they will repeat verse 5 at the end. And that's because the rabbis did not want the last word of God to Israel to be a curse. They had a a problem with that. (laughs) And so uh, they would either uh, uh, flip flop the verses or they would um, uh, add verse 5 on there again. And so let's read that again. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so they would add that, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers, they would add that in there again, just for, for good measure. And so Malachi ends with a promise, okay? Two promises, one of restoration and one of cursing. And so there's two promises here. One is that God is going to uh, uh, turn the hearts of fathers to their children, but he's also there's going to be a decree of utter destruction if there is disobedience, and so uh, so so God warns them of that, and he says I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord, and there's a lot of depending on who you, which person you read, there's a lot of disagreement on who this refers to, you know, in in, uh, uh, in the New Testament there's a lot of equating Elijah with John the Baptist, and um, but this this Elijah that's right here. Um, says that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And so the way it's written makes it seem like this Elijah person is the one who's turning the hearts of the fathers to, uh, you know, to the children and vice versa. Um, So uh, there's a little bit of disagreement on who this refers to. Uh, I kind of, the way I read it, it seems like to me it's referring to Elijah the prophet coming before the great day of the Lord. And then that it's the Lord who's turning the hearts of the fathers to the children. That's kind of how I, how I read this. Um, I barely passed Hebrew, so you might not want to take my word for it. Uh, but uh, I believe that's that's what's saying here. And so, uh, you know, Elijah was, or John the Baptist was always equated with Elijah there in the New Testament. Um, and so it says that he will he will turn the hearts of the fathers. And so there's this uh, promise. God has promises this blessing for those who are faithful, and destruction of those who are not. And this is the same promise that uh, we have near the end of the book of Revelation. Revelation 12:10 through 13 says, He said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evil doer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And so as God begins to wrap up the book of Revelation, He says, hey, at this, by this point, if you're doing evil, keep doing evil. And if you're being holy, keep being holy because your deeds are known. You know, your way of living is known and the judgment's already been pronounced and it's coming. And so He says, I'm coming soon, bringing with me to repay each one for what He has done. Now we know because we've read the rest of the New Testament that uh, whenever God comes to pay us for what He's done, He's going to look at us and He's going to see Jesus. And he's going to say the payment has already been paid in full. And we're not going to be punished for the sin that's in our life because our punishment has already been handed out on the cross. And um, Jesus took our punishment for us. And so, But we do know that for those who do not know Jesus as Savior, that that punishment is coming if they don't turn to him. And so our hope, our, our message needs to be for them and uh, needs to just be to, um, to continue to reach out and, and to try to uh, share the gospel with them. Uh, and so so let's look at some takeaways for this, okay? Um, see what we can kind of glean from this. The first one is this. Trust God with fairness in life. Uh, is life fair? No. Life's not fair at all. Uh, some things we bring on ourselves, but there's a lot of things that happen to us that just flat out aren't fair. And um, the more that we look at the world around us, the more we probably realize and we might think, Lord, why does the wicked prosper? <laughs> we might sound kind of like these Jewish Uh, people here, the Jews here, the Israelites. uh, Why are the wicked prospering? Why do they keep getting more and more and more when we're just barely getting by and we're trying to live for you? Um, And so we need to realize that in the end, God is going to make everything right. God is going to have a day where he repays evil for evil and he repays righteousness for for righteousness. Um, And so we have to trust God with the fairness in life. And we also have to realize that sometimes from earthly standards, what's fair for me what seems fair to me might seem unfair to you and just to give you an example of what's going on in popular culture think about all the statues that they're wanting to take down right now you know i look at it from a uh, white male southerner perspective and um, i think they're trying to rewrite history why are they doing this why are they doing that but you know i don't have slave background in my in my heritage Um, my grandfather's grandfather was not a slave, a slave, you know, but there may still be people who's out there whose grandfathers or great-grandfathers, grandfathers were, you know, they may have heard those stories, and whenever they walk by a raw, release statue, that's what they think of. And I don't know, you know, I don't know what that's like. I just I can look at it from my perspective, and I think, how dare they do that? But for them, the unfairness may be completely opposite. And so sometimes in life, what's fair for me may seem completely unfair for you, and we can still be brothers in Christ and. And look at things that way, and so what we do know is that when it comes to living righteously, that is what we've been called to do, and we have to leave the fairness to to God. The next thing is this: anticipate and pray for the return of the Lord. Uh, you know, there's there's times where uh, I pray for pray, Lord, I can't wait for you to come back and things like that. But when it comes right down to it, um, I probably don't really anticipate the coming of the Lord like I should. You know, I want to see my kids grow up. I want to I want to be grandpa one day so that I can spoil them and send them home, you know, and get even with them and stuff like that. Hey, yeah, all got some amens on that one. Right? You know, those are some good times. I want to see them, you know, grow up. I want to see them get married. I want to see them do great things for the Lord. And that's not going to happen if Jesus comes back next week. And so for some me, selfishly, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, no, I don't want you to come back yet. You know, I want to see these things, you know. You know, Lauren and Terry, you're like, I know. I want the baby to be born. You know, I want to see the baby coming and stuff like that. But, um, but we do as Christians. We should anticipate it. I mean, that's that is the greatest thing. You know, Preston and Addison, Blake and Jackson growing up to be great young men and women. That's a good thing. But that's not the greatest thing. Because hey, if the Lord comes back tomorrow, we'll just all go and spend eternity together you know that's 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 the greatest thing but we should anticipate it and pray for the return of the Lord but the end of revelation where Jesus says I'm coming soon and John responds amen come Lord (laughs) you know that should be our that should be our anticipation every day next thing remember that Jesus is our healer both physical and spiritual Um, you know there's doctors and doctors are great you know we got some great nurses here on our front row we need doctors we need medical professionals uh, we need counselors. We need psychiatrists, I think. You know, we need those people. Um, but when it comes right into it, the Lord is responsible for all of you. And we pray for wisdom for doctors. We pray for him to guide their hands. God is the one who brings our healing. And so we always need to look to him and trust in him for, for healing. For, and we, we need to trust him for healing for our country. Because um, only he can do it. Um, you know, we are, we are called to humble ourselves. But God's the one who has to do the healing. And so we do our part and he'll do ours. And the last thing is we must be faithful to the very end. Um, he says that uh, uh, that um, it says in verse 2, you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall, uh, shall rise. It says you shall tread down the wicked. And he uh, and says in verse 5, there is a great and awesome day of the Lord coming. And so we know that there was a great day when the Lord came and He died on the cross for our sins, but there's another great day coming as well, and that's the, that's at the, the end of time whenever He comes, and we want to be found faithful. You know, we want to be found faithful whenever we, uh, whenever He comes back. Um, the uh, uh, the harvest is still plentiful. Uh, there's still people to be won, and we need to be faithful to the very end. One of the things that, you know you definitely want, want to do is for the Lord to come back and say, well. I guess you get him anyway, <laughs> you know. I don't. I don't want him to be be thinking, you know. I saved you, but you didn't do a whole lot with it, <laughs> you know. And you know, I think God's honest. He's probably gonna tell us that if we. He's gonna show us the opportunities that we missed out on. Um, I think there's a passage in Thessalonians we, we read last week that talks about our deeds being judged, you know, by fire. and Those things that were done for the Lord will survive. Those things done for ourselves will be burned up. Um, you know, we need to make sure that we're being faithful to the Lord all the way to the very end. Working hard for him and serving him. Not because we're trying to earn our salvation. Uh, not because we're trying to, you know, be the best person here. Uh, you know, your best person in the church or something like that. But just because we love the Lord and he has given us everything, the least we can do is live for him. So we want to be faithful to the very end. So for, uh, uh, for us, Malachi actually ends on a pretty good note. Because it's telling you the promises of righteousness. And uh, if we live for, righteous, live for the Lord, uh, we're going to see the blessings that come. Uh, but it's also a sobering thing because we realize that there's still work for us to, to be done. Because we need to be out there sharing that message with other people. And so hopefully this will just encourage you to, uh, um, uh, to, uh, to live for him. And encourage you to share that message with other people that you're around. Because uh, we all have areas of influence where we can, we can reach out. Let me pray for us and we'll be done.